Okay. Want to do our disclaimer? I guess. <laughs> if I have to. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Wheel of Crime podcast, the podcast where two ladies play games, mumble profanities, and laugh way too often. As well, this podcast does cover topics of sensitive nature, and as such, listener discretion is advised. Listener, just question. Just question. <laughs> hey, Tweety, go back to Looney Tunes. Listener discretion is advised. We're going to talk about underwater crimes. <laughs> oh, hell yeah. And these are your hosts. My name is Emily. My name is Jen. And like we said, we are the Wheel of Crime, and we are going to be covering underwater crimes. We are the Wheel of Crime. We are. We are. We are actually the wheel. We're actually the crime. (laughs) (laughs) What's your favorite and your least favorite kind of fish? Like, to eat? <laughs> I think just in general. Because you don't eat fish, so it could no. be one to look at. I think my favorite fish to look at would be angelfish or oh. whales or sharks. Oh, okay, that's fair. I, um, I don't know if sharks or whales count as fish, though. <laughs> in my world, they do. Sure. <laughs> I'm not a scientist. <laughs> I what? keep having to tell you guys this. I'm not a scientist. Or Leave a me alone. <laughs> I don't know anything. Uh-huh. Let's see. Jellyfish are cool, too. Well, what about your least favorite, then? My least favorite? Mm, Probably those scary ones at the bottom of the ocean with the light. Anglerfish? Yeah. Those scary ones (laughs) at the bottom of the ocean? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's sad that I knew exactly what you were talking about. I was like, she's trying to say anglerfish. She's trying to say anglerfish. What about you? <laughs> I I would say my favorite fish. There's a lot of fish. <laughs> there is a lot of fish. To eat, for sure, is salmon. To look at, I feel like there are a lot of interesting ones. I also agree that jellyfish are interesting. I don't know if they actually count as fish, though. It's in the name. It is in the name. That's just like swordfish. <laughs> I do not know if technically that counts as a fish either. But... They're, it's in the name. They're a fish. <laughs> you can't say, oh yeah, it's a jellyfish and then be like, but actually they're a monkey. Like, who who are you? Why did you get to make the decision? I don't, <laughs> I don't <really> know. <laughs> I'm trying to keep an open mind. Like I said, we're ignorant. I'm trying to make us sound less ignorant. <laughs> They already know, Emily. Don't put on a facade for them. A facade. Emily used to pronounce facade as facade and forever has been made fun of. Well, I might still do it if it annoys you much. <laughs> I love it. 
I don't know. Like I said, there's a lot of different types of fish. I feel like I gave a sufficient enough answer for favorites. But for least favorites, I will go with pretty much any fish you can find at the bottom of the ocean, though. Now, albeit, there are some interesting ones. But most of them are creepy. Like, there's one that's coiled up that actually unrolls itself into, like, a giant jaw to eat stuff. And it's kind of shaped like a plastic bag. It's really weird. That is really weird. Uh Uh-huh. And they've got a whole bunch of other creepy ones. Which, like I said, I think they're interesting enough, but from very far away from me. And only in pictures, sometimes not at night. And maybe a video. Not at night. (laughs) (laughs) But not when it's dark and scary. Not not when it's dark and scary. (laughs) Only when it's light outside. What's the coolest thing underwater? I would say the coral reef. Oh, that is pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It is really cool. I agree (laughs) with myself. I don't know. I actually, I remember I went through this one phase where I really wanted to learn about the different types of things that like naturally occurring are under the ocean on top of like, you know, the obvious things like sunken ships and like, you know, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. But they do actually have a lot of really interesting underwater caves Oh, okay. Yeah, and they'll, like, wear out into particular patterns and everything, depending on the tide and everything, which is also neat. And then also a lot of underwater volcanoes. That's cool. And they also, for some of these, uh, I think they call them geothermal vents, but it's basically hot air that escapes underwater. Now, don't quote me on this, because it's been <laughs> a long time. But it's it's hot enough where it's, like, above boiling temperature. And I this may have something to do with, like, just, like, volcanic action volcanic activity right and so they actually did discover a species of i don't know if if it's a type of shrimp or just like a really small organism of a sort it might even be a microorganism but they did find out that there is a life form that actually lives in this boiling water around these geothermal vents that's cool i know because there isn't anything that can live under those temperatures with the exception of these creatures how neato isn't that cool that is Nito. <laughs> oh, you're so extra. Okay. Did you ever say recess? No. Oh, there's an episode. What where... part of I didn't have cable? <laughs> do you not understand? <laughs> Emily, you should watch that. So Raven. That's a nice idea. <laughs> <laughs> there's this episode on recess where Vince's older brother, he's like seen as a really cool older brother, but then he turns nerdy and then he goes, he gets down on his knees at one point and he's like, Nito. And that's forever my mood. I can see that. (laughs) All right, spin. What's your favorite body of water? Like pond, river, ocean. The one without the pirates, but probably the ocean or a river. Okay. Or maybe a lake. Lakes are cool too. I like lakes. I like- No swamps. Mountain lakes. Yeah, mountain lakes. I have never personally visited a swamp. I do hear they smell bad. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> can confirm <laughs> you're looking at me and i just saw like war flashbacks go through your eyes and i was like whoa <laughs> what happened to you what happened to you i don't know i like the ocean a lot but it as we've discussed at length it scares me oh that giant seaweed gets me every time <laughs> but i also love lakes like mountain lakes like you said I have gone and seen a couple mountain lakes, and they're usually really nice because they'll be like iceberg runoff type lakes, which I do think is really nice. Very cold, but, but very, very nice. pretty. <laughs> very cold, very blue. If you could be a sea creature, what would you be? I'd be a great white shark because then I could eat the pirates. 
Oh, a good one. Or a whale. I don't know. I just think they're neat. You see, I would be a whale shark. I'd be a killer whale. Because <laughs> then the people could be like, go get him, killer. And I would get him. And I'd get him. <laughs> <laughs> the only thing about being a killer whale, though, is that you would have to eat seals. No. And seals are basically and penguins. sea dogs. Yeah, and penguins. So are Aww. you sure you want to do that? Okay, I'll be a blue whale. Or a great white shark. You should be a sperm whale. No, fuck off. <laughs> Your nickname could be Spermy. Get out of here! <laughs> I'll be a blue whale or a great white shark because they're neat and like ferocious and I can vibe with that. <laughs> they're mean and ferocious like myself. They're <laughs> mean and ferocious. They just seem sassy to me and that's what I'm all about. I mean, sure. Who's to say they're not? We don't speak fish language. Yeah. Not yet, anyways. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Like I said, whale sharks would be neat because you're really, really big, so you wouldn't really have a lot of predators necessarily, and also you would only eat krill mm-hmm. and, like, really small things, which I think would be neat. And then other than that, maybe something cool like a swordfish. Swordfish are really neat. Mm-hmm. Right? Or, like, a narwhal. Ooh. Right? So many options. So many. Or, like, um... Or a seahorse. Yeah, or a manatee. <laughs> Guys, what would you be? Barbara, manatee, manatee, manatee. Give us five stars and tell us what kind of fish you'd be. Yeah. <laughs> I want to hear about all these neat kinds of fish. <laughs> tell us in below. Or I'd be that organism that lives in the hot vents so nobody would bother me literally ever. You'd be like, I'm just hot tubbing. Living my best life. <laughs> YOLO. <laughs> Hashtag YOLO hot tub life. Hashtag I'm a hot tubber. I'm a hot tubber. <laughs> uh, do you have a hot tub in your backyard? Because guess what? I live in one. <laughs> Bitch, you're not as cool as me. Never are. Never Period. Will be. Oh, uh, however, I do think that wraps up our wheel of questions. It does. It now does. it's time for our wheel of description. Our wheel of description. <laughs> you are right. It is time for our wheel of description. <laughs> Just one description. It's not multiple. <laughs> She's going to describe to you what Ireland is. Oh, wait. <laughs> She's already done oh, that. wait. We already did that. <laughs> Maybe next year. <laughs> next year, Steve hosted for St. Patrick's Day crimes when Emily describes what the country of Ireland is. No, who the Irish are. <laughs> Whatever. Same fucking thing. Uh... It should be illegal how funny that was. <laughs> how about leprechauns? Our Irish Day Crimes episode is still our most listened to. Oh, probably because it's all the because of all the fucking leprechauns. All the leprechauns and the bad Bel- Belfast bitches. Bad Belfast bitches. That's where that's from. Bad Bel Bel Bad Bel. I still can't talk. Bad Belfast bitches is from our Irish crimes. Send us a video of you guys saying that five times fast. Yeah, and then you won't judge me. Well, you still will. Do it anyway. But not for that reason. (laughs) Okay, so, but here's our description. Here's our wheel of description. Yeah. So, underwater refers to the region below the surface of water where the water exists in a swimming pool. (laughs) Where the water exists. (laughs) (laughs) Or a natural feature called a body of water, such as an ocean, sea, lake, pond, or river. River? River. River. So in case you didn't know what underwater meant, it means where water exists. Wow, what a description. (laughs) But would you like to go first today or shall I? I'll go first. Alrighty then. 
Bruce Ivins was born on April 22nd, 1946, and spent his youth in Lebanon, Ohio, a small town 30 miles northeast of Cincinnati. His parents were Thomas Randall Ivins and Mary Johnson Ivins, and he was the youngest of three brothers. His father, a pharmacist, owned a drugstore and was active in the local Rotary Club and Chamber of Commerce. The family went regularly to Lebanon Presbyterian Church, although Ivins was later a Catholic parishioner. According to C.W. Ivins, one of the Ivins' older brothers, their mother Mary, was violent and physically abusive to all three children. When she discovered she was pregnant with Bruce, and a pregnancy that was unplanned and unwanted, she repeatedly tried to abort the child by throwing herself down a set of stairs. Ivins would eventually hear the story of his mother's attempt to abort him. Nice. That's what you want to hear about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what a... What a f- Classic family tale. Scary, though. Like, even as a kid, can you imagine hearing about that? That would be a feeling you would not want to have to deal with. No. Sad. It is sad because that's this is why I'm not going to get political. Let's just move on. Let's, let's just do our thing. Let's just talk about violent crimes. Yes, let's keep at it. <laughs> Avidly interested in science, Ivins was an active participant of extracurricular activities in high school, including National Honor Society, Science Fairs, and Current Events Club, and the scholarship team for all four years. He ran on the track and cross-country teams, worked on the yearbook and school newspaper, and was in the school choir and junior and senior class plays. In December 1975, Ivins married a nursing student named Mary Diane Betchch. Bitch. 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 Known as Diane, whom he remained married until his death. The couple had two children. Diane Ivins was a homemaker and a full-time parent who also ran a daycare center out of the family's home. Ivins graduated with honors from the University of Cincinnati with a Bachelor of Science degree in 1968, an MS degree in 1971, and a PhD degree in 1976, all in microbiology. So he was quite smart. I was going to say quite edumacated. Very edumacated. Mm-hmm. More edu- edumacated than I. Or I. <laughs> Ivans conducted his PhD research under the supervision of Dr. Peter F. Bonventure. His dissertation focused on different aspects of toxicity in disease-causing bacteria. Ivans was a scientist for 36 years and senior biodefense researcher at the United States Army Medical Research Institute of Infectious Diseases at Fort Detrick in Maryland for 18 years. After conducting research on Legionella and Gloria in 1979, Ivans turned his attention to anthrax after the anthrax outbreak in the Soviet city of Servodolsky. Oh my god. You tried. Now known as Yetzerberg, which killed at least 105 after an accidental release at a military facility. Yikes. Ivans had published at least 44 scientific papers dating back to May 18th, 1969. His earliest known published work pertained to the response of perinocial microphages, a type of white blood cell to infection by chlamydia, an infectious bacterium that can be transmitted from animals to humans. Right. 
He was the co-author of numerous anthrax studies, including one on a treatment for inhalational anthrax published in the July 7, 2008 issue of the journal Antimicrobial Agents and Chemotherapy. Ivan was a co-inventor on two United States patients for anthrax vaccine technology, U.S. patient 6 million 316,006 and U.S. patient 6,387,665. Both of these patients are owned by his employer at the time, the United States Army. On March 14, 2003, Ivans and two of his colleagues at Fort Derrick received the Decoration for Exceptional Civilian Science, the highest award given to Defense Department civilian employees for helping solve technical problems in the manufacture of anthrax vaccines. Mm. So... To rewind a little bit, (laughs) because it's been quite a ride so far. I was going to say. The 2001 anthrax attacks, also known as Amaruthax. Amaruthax? Just... The 2001 anthrax attacks occurred within the United States over the course of several weeks, beginning on September 18, 2001, one week after the September 11 attacks. Letters were mailed containing anthrax spores to several news media offices and Democratic sponsors Tom Dulch and Patrick Lee, killing five people and infecting 17 others. A copycat hoax letter containing harmless white powder was opened by reporter Judith Miller in the New York Times newsroom. Authorities believe that the anthrax letters were mailed from Princeton, New Jersey. Investigators found anthrax spores in a city street mailbox located at 10 Nuace Street near the Princeton University campus. About 600 mailboxes were tested for anthrax, which could have been used to mail the letters, and the Nuace Street box was the only one to test positive. The New York Post and NBC News letters contained the following note, dated 09 dash 11 dash 01 this is next take penicillin now death to america death to israel allah is great huh the second note was addressed to senators dulch and lee and it was dated 09 dash 11 dash 01 you cannot stop us we have this anthrax you die now are you afraid Death to America, death to Israel, Allah is great. So it was very Mm. attached to this 2001 terrorist attack. Right. All the letters were copies made by a copy machine and the originals were never found. Each letter was trimmed to a slightly different size. The Senate letter uses punctuation while the media letter does not. The handwriting on the media letter and envelopes is roughly twice the size of the handwriting on the Senate letter and envelopes. The envelopes addressed to the Senators Dalshin Lee had a fictitious return address, fourth grade Greendale School, Franklin Park, New Jersey. Nice. (laughs) Franklin Park, New Jersey exists, but the zip code 08852 is for nearby Monoth Junction, New Jersey. There is no Greendale School in Franklin Park or Monoth Junction, New Jersey, though there is a Greenbrook Elementary School in adjacent South Brunswick Township, New Jersey. The letter sent to the media contained a coarse brown material, while the letter sent to the two U.S. senators contained a fine powder. Mm -hmm. The brown granular anthrax mostly causes skin infections in... It mostly causes skin infections in 9 of 12 cases. Although Kathleen Nugent's case of inhaling the anthrax occurred at the same time and in the same general area as two other cases and several other exposures. Mm -hmm. The AMI letter, which caused inhalation, causes 
cases in Florida appears to have been mailed at the same time as other media letters. The fine powder anthrax sent to the senators most likely caused more dangers in form of infection known as inhalation anthrax in eight of ten cases. Okay. Postal worker Patrick O'Donnell and accountant Linda Birch contracted contagious anthrax from the Senate letters. All of the material was delivered from the same bacterial strain known as the Emmy strain. The Emmy strain was a common strain isolated from a cow in Texas in 1981. The name Emmys refers to the town of Emmys, Ohio, but was mistakenly attached to isolate this in 1981 because of a mix-up in the mailing label on the package. Hmm. First researched at the United States Army Medical Research Institute of Infectious Diseases at Fort Derrick, Maryland, where who works? That dude. (laughs) Ivan's. I was going to say, how does this all connect together? (laughs) The Ami strain was then distributed to the 16 bio-research labs within the U.S. and three other locations, including Canada, Sweden, and the United Kingdom. DNA sequencing of the anthrax taken from the Robert Stevens, the first victim, was conducted at the Institute for Geonomic Research beginning in December 2001. Radiocarbon dating conducted by the Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory in June 2002 established that the anthrax was cultured no more than two years before the mailings. According to the FBI, the ensuing investigation became one of the largest and most complex in the history of law enforcement. A major focus in the early years of the investigation was bioweapons expert Stephen Hatfield, who was eventually crossed off the list of suspects. Mm. Another suspect was Bruce Edwards Ivins. Uh-huh. Guy. Our man. Our man, who became a focus of investigation around April 4th, 2005. Ivans was a scientist who worked at the government's biodefense labs in Fort Derrick, and on April 11th, 2007, he was put under periodic surveillance, and an FBI document stated that Bruce Edwards Ivans is an extremely sensitive suspect in the 2001 anthrax attacks. On July 29th, 2008, Ivans committed suicide with an overdose of Advil. That's interesting. Federal prosecutors declared Ivans to be a sole culprit of the crime on August 6, 2008, based on the DNA evidence leading to the anthrax vial in his lab. Two days later, Senator Chuck Grisley and Representative Rush D. Holt Jr. called for hearings into the Department of Justice and the FBI's handling of the investigation. On February 19, 2010, the FBI formally closed its investigation. In 2008, the FBI requested a review of the scientific methods used in their investigation from the National Academy of Sciences, which released their findings in the 2011 report, Review of the Scientific Approaches Used During the FBI's Investigation of the 2001 Anthrax Letters. What a catchy title. It is. It's very long. (laughs) The report casts doubt on the government's conclusion that Ivans was the perpetrator, finding that the type of anthrax used in the letters was correctly identified as the Emmy strain of the bacterium, but there was insufficient scientific evidence for the FBI's assertion that it originated from Ivan's laboratory. The FBI responded by pointing out that a review panel asserted that it would not be possible to reach a definite conclusion based on science alone and said that a combination of factors led the FBI to conclude that Ivan's had been the perpetrator. Mm. Some of this information is still sealed concerning the case and Ivan's mental problems. Right. 
The government settled lawsuits that were filed by the widow of the first anthrax victim, Bob Stevens, for $2.5 million with no admission of liability. The settlement was reached solely for the purpose of avoiding the expense and risks of further litigations, according to a statement in the agreement. Now, I bet you're wondering what this has anything to do with underwater crimes. Yes. (laughs) I am very curious as to why this has anything to do with underwater crimes. Well, I'm doing a classic Emily stretch here. And you are stretching. Because in the winter of 2002 and 2003, the FBI decided to bring in a man named Mike Berry to help with the investigation. Now, Mike is recognized internationally as a master underwater criminal investigator and is one of the most experienced public safety divers slash underwater criminal investigators in the world with with 35 plus years of active service. He was a trooper with the Virginia State Police for over 35 years and served 12 years on the road as a road trooper, 10 years at the Virginia State Police Training Academy as as an instructor, and currently is VSP's full-time star coordinator. He's a graduate of the FBI's National Academy and has been an active member of the department's search and recovery team his entire career. So, Mike here was asked to lead the FBI's anthrax diving operation in Frederick, Maryland, searching frozen ponds for evidence relating to the case. The operation became one of the county's largest and most dangerous public safety diving operations involving a terrorist act ever attempted due to the hazardous conditions and the size of the overall operation. Mm -hmm. As a result of his contributions, he received a letter of thanks from the FBI as well as being awarded the Virginia State Police Superintendent's Award of Merit. Interesting. Yes. All what? Right. That was a long one. <laughs> I spent a long time being like, where's the water? <laughs> where's the water, Jen? <laughs> it was in there. That's okay. Well, I really stretched it this week, too. But I will say, though, that uh, I've, it's interesting because I've seen a lot of lot more information about the anthrax uh, uh what, what attacks yeah it was called the attacks yeah uh come up lately on even like my news feeds for my medias and everything and it's interesting how that all panned out i know you know i mean when i was looking doing my research for this crime i was really looking for a story about two people fighting to death underwater but that's kind of hard to find so this is this is where we ended up don't worry, mine's a mess. So, <laughs> get ready, folks. This is going to make you want to cry. Oh. Because I'm going to be talking about sirens. Oh, my God. <laughs> don't worry. And don't worry, not just the Greek mythology. Oh, goody. Let us begin. So, in Greek mythology, the sirens were dangerous creatures who lured nearby sailors with their enchanting music and singing voices to shipwreck on the rocky coast of their island. Roman poets placed them on some small islands called Cyrenum Scopule, Scopuli? Meh. In some later rationalized traditions, the literal geography of the flowery island Anthemoessa or Anthemusa is fixed, sometimes on Cape Pelorum and at others on the islands of Cyrenus and Pastum or in Capri, and in such locations were surrounded by cliffs and rocks. The Greek philosopher Plato says that there were three kinds of sirens, the celestial, the generative, and the cathartic. <laughs> I'm the cathartic I was guy. literally going to say, guess which one we are. <laughs> and it's definitely not the celestial. 
Nope. That's yeah. a hard no. Right? So the first, so the Celestials, were governed under Jupiter. So the god Jupiter. Yeah. Uh, and then the second, so the generative were under Neptune, and the Cathartic were under Pluto. So parallels can be drawn here between the three planets and the deities of the same name, which were representative of Zeus, Poseidon, and Hades. And when the soul is in heaven, uh, the sirens seek by harmonic motion to unite it to the divine life to the celestial host, and when in Hades to conform the soul of the internal infernal regimen, but when on earth their only job is to produce generation of which the sea is emblematic. Wow, what that, a fancy word. That's basically the long and the short of saying that in Greek mythology, sirens had more responsibilities than how we know them today. Right. It's pretty much on par with all these other myths I've talked about or legends or folklore where like in harry potter sure (laughs) when harry talks to the siren it's not a siren though he's talking to mermaids like in harry potter when harry talks to the siren it's not a siren it's a mermaids like in harry potter when harry talks i'm telling you they're not sirens (laughs) emily let me have what i want you know the screaming sound they make they literally explained it as Mermaid voices can't be heard above water, Ellis. It sounds like screaming. It's not a siren. <laughs> I don't know. Do you need me to explain to you what a siren is? Because I can do that. Generally speaking, sirens is... <laughs> no, but but for real. No, sirens are supposed to be similar to mermaids in a few different aspects, but more so they're meant to be like a fairy type figure that sings to lure sailors to their deaths. What's a mer- What's the difference between a mermaid then? Mermaids are primarily underwater, so they won't sing, typically speaking, to lure men in. Mermaids are more of like, they're supposed to have a little bit more culture, per se, than sirens. sirens they're fancier. Yeah, it depends on them. Mermaids are fancy sirens. That's what I'm going to think from now on. <laughs> sure. Basically, <laughs> keep in mind, mermaids are supposed to live underwater. Sirens live above water and are also trying to steal your husbands. Oh, oh, oh it's Mr. Steal Your Boy. Mr. Steal Your Boy? Yeah. So in Greek, they had a lot more responsibilities and a lot more history as we know them today. More they, context. Yeah, and as we know them today, they sing to sailors to eat them. Seems reasonable. As one does, right? But isn't the ocean scary enough? Can these bitches leave us alone? <laughs> right? Now that I've told you about the history, I have an actual story. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I know. Didn't see that one coming. However, <laughs> I didn't. It's not a Greek siren story, though. It's actually a German siren story. That's it. We're talking about it. Cancel the rest of the episode. (laughs) On the Rhine River, on the eastern shore, atop a steep rock. Oh, by the way, this is the actual story, all right? Okay. (laughs) There once lived... So is this fictitious or is this supposed to be a true story? It depends. I feel like when it was shared at first, it was meant to read as true. But now that we know more, there's an explanation. So I'll get to that part. Okay. On the Rhine River, on the eastern shore, atop a steep rock, there once lived a nymph named Lorelei. She dressed in white and wore a wreath of stars in her hair. She was exquisite, and more than her physical beauty was the song she sang, a song so alluring that no one could resist its pull. People said that anyone sailing close to that rock would lose his life to her song, for it was irresistible, and no sailors who tried to reach Lorelei ever returned. There was long ago one proud young warrior who lived in the Pelot. You see, I try to practice some of these words and then never reads right. Palatinate. 
Palatinate court with his father. The young man's name was Ronald, and he was the light of his father's life. One day, as Ronald was boating down the Rhine with an old sea captain, he heard Lorelei's song, and in that moment he could think of nothing but her. He longed to hold her, and he felt as if invisible arms were pulling him toward her, though anyone seeing him from afar would have seen nothing but a sailor pulling on his oars, rowing hard towards the rock. Twilight's haze surrounded the Rhine Valley as Ronald approached the rock. His boat was nearing the cliff as the sun began to set behind the mountains and darkness fell like a curtain and then silence fell as well. The only light seemed to shine from the evening star high above him, and that star seemed to be an angel set in the sky to protect the helpless young man. For a while, Ronald stopped rowing and gazed at the star. Then the old man sitting beside him cried, Stop! We must turn around. You're heading towards Lorelei, the Enchantress. But it was too late. Hearing that name, Ronald opened his eyes wide and saw the beautiful creature combing her copper hair, her dress flowing in the evening breeze. It seemed to Ronald that the only light left in the world was the light surrounding surrounding her. Despite the darkness, she was composed of light. Gleaming eyes, shimmering lips, her face aglow, and her song cut through him like a knife to the heart. The plaintive, longing song, it called to him. Come to me. Come to me. Come to me, Lorelai. Or, Ronald. <laughs> when Lorelai looked down on him, he trembled and could not take his eyes away from her. He could think of nothing but of how marvelous this moment was, and in his trance, his boat crept closely, slow her to her and to the rocks. But the boat was moving too slowly for Ronald. When she called, Ronald, Ronald, he dived into the water. And people say they heard a scream, a death-like sound coming from the rocks as the waves washed over Ronald's body. The old boatman wept as he worked to steer the boat away from the shore. Lightning stabbed at the sky and thunder rumbled over the mountain. Still, the song of Lorelei filled the air. Somehow, that old man made his way home. And before long, the court heard of the news of the young man lured by the siren to his death. Ronald's father, sick with grief, ordered his soldiers to bring the enchantress to court dead or alive, they set on their quest and those soldiers neared the rock. The leader looked up and cried, let us throw her from the rocks to the sea. Let her know the death she has caused others. At that moment, the first shade of twilight draped itself over the mountains and the armed men began to climb up the side of the mountain towards the peak. Above them, they could see the top of the mountain was veiled in mist and they thought it was the last rays of the sun, but it was the light that wrapped Lorelei in its embrace. And there she was, dreamily combing her hair. As the men drew close, she reached inside her dress and removed a string of pearls, bound these around her head, and looked at the soldiers. What are you doing here? She cried. You are mere men. The leader cried, You are a sorceress, and we are here to destroy you. As one does. Yeah, of course. Right? The next sound they heard was a laugh. A laugh that echoed from every corner of the valley. The Rhine is coming for me, Lorelai called, and she bent over the precipice, tore the pearls from her head, and hurled them into the water. Then she began to sing, Father dear, send forth thy steeds from waters clear, and I shall ride with the waves and the wind. And at that moment, a storm burst into being, and the Rhine began to whirl and rise. Foam covered the banks, rising higher and higher until it reached the nymph. It lifted her into its arms and carried her down in a rushing current, and at the same time, Ronald's body uh, appeared, washed ashore. Shore. The terrified men returned to the palace to tell the court the news. From near and far, people came to mourn Ronald and to gaze at this place, to search for a glimpse of the famed sorceress. But from that day on, no one ever saw her again. Some sailors say they occasionally see her on the hills, and now and then a passing boater claims to hear her voice, soft and low, echoing from the high above. And everyone who passes the rock looks up, half hoping for a sight of her and half afraid. Dun, dun, dun. So that's the story. Very eloquently put. Right? And as such, the crime component would be the fact that Lorelai killed Ronald. 
As, and as other the, dudes. Right, as the story tells. However, they did also explain that rock that they say that Lorelai sang on to lure men to their deaths, it actually reverberates with the sound of the tide as water hits it and actually gives off a low humming sound. Oh, interesting. And it's called the Lorelei. Now we have to go. I know. I was reading about it and I was like, oh, this is the most amazing thing. But yes, so they actually, from what I read, they might have just been citing the story, but from what I can recall, they called it the Lorelei due to this story. And yes, it's actually from, it is something to do with the way the rock is shaped. And I do believe there are a couple of underwater caverns so that anytime the tide comes in, it hits the back of the caves and it actually reverberates through the rock and it creates a low humming sound. Similar to somebody singing. What a twist! Gasp! Egad! What a twist! Uh, I know, but that is my story for this week. That's actually really interesting. I'm very impressed with you. I know. There's a very sciencey element. There's a crime element. And there's an Emily element. <laughs> <laughs> and there's an Emily twist. And an Emily twist just to top it all off. However, I do believe that brings us to the end of our show. Which means we get it spilled in the wheel of crime to find out our topic for next week. For sure. Am I spinning or are you? You spin. Oh, I spin. Okay. <laughs> So next week, we're going to be talking about cult crimes. Uh, Emily's been looking forward to this one. I have a plan. It's actually going to be a crime episode, too. I have a plan. She has a plan, guys. Look forward to two crimes next week instead of one and a half. (laughs) (laughs) Truly. (laughs) Truly. But... If you do like our show, we would love it if you could give us five stars on iTunes, get us up there, help us reach more people. We are annoying, but we have kind hearts. Help us out, please. (laughs) Please and shank you. Yeah, shank you. Please don't. Um... (laughs) You can also listen to us on Spotify, whatever platform you're listening to on right now, I would assume. Maybe. Are you coming from Stitcher? (laughs) Can you let me know what your name is? Because I'd love to know. I want to know who this one person is. Um, and you can also email us at Wheel of Crime if you have any stories to share. Any Wheel of questions. Crime at gmail.com, not at Wheel of Crime. Mm, Nothing.com. <laughs> Nothing.com. <laughs> That's almost the same. And then you can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, not Snapchat. Sorry, guys. We're not on the snaps, but we are on the IGs. I'm not snap savvy. I'm on the idge. The idge and the twit? Yeah, the idge and the twit. Or the Twitter. The Twitter. (laughs) Anyways. (laughs) Goodbye. (laughs) Welcome to the end of our show. This is Emily signing off. This is Jen. And you've been listening to The Wheel Wheel of Crime. Crime. Wow. We're so good. High five. (laughs) See you next week. See you next week. (laughs)